not about politics, it's about football. This is a simple game. We're going to run the ball, and we're going to pass the ball. He's just going to play football already. How good of a football player are you? I just get in and try to spin it. That's all. I just love the game. It really is the best time of the year. What is up? Welcome in to another edition, the Friday edition of It's Just Football. Mike Renner here hosting for the very first time. So if it's a shitty show, blame Trevor for taking the day off. Now, uh, welcome in our co-host here. First time we're doing a show together, I believe. Seth Galena from the Great North. Seth, how are you doing today, buddy? Uh, where's Trevor? What's going on? <laughs> he thought it was going to be Trevor. I would not have. I would not have agreed to this. I can do a Trevor impersonation. It was going to be you. No, I can't. I can't do a Trevor impersonation. I don't have that much energy <laughs> in me. I'm excited to look forward to these games, though. So on the show today, we'll be previewing all of the wild card matchups, giving a couple matchups to watch each of us throughout the weekend. Also doing some bold predictions, and then going to our bro throw throwdown at the end, but I want to welcome in the production portal here right off the rip. Quinn, fellas, how are we doing today? Good, man. We, we're going to have to try to bring the energy because this is a uh, this is a very low T crew. Well, yeah. it's not. It's, it's <laughs> like uh, it's like Herb Street when he got with Al Michaels, right? Like they're, they're, bit, they're, yeah. they're the two like kind of like low energy, but bit. make salient points guys in the booth when they act. And now we're going to have to have one of us step up to the plate. Yeah, the problem is not, neither of us like no ball. Like neither <laughs> of us are gonna make salient observations here today, so that's the problem. That's uh, maybe not the greatest. So we're really hard selling this show right off the top here. <laughs> but uh, Quinn, do we have a question of the day for us? We sure do. Nine quarterbacks have thrown for five thousand or more yards in a single season. How many can you name? Probably all of them, right? Wow. It's got to be, I mean, Marino, was Marino the first? Did he have over 5,000 or was it? Okay, so who's the first? I think so. And then Breeze broke it. Yeah. Brady had over 5,000. Manning went over 5,000. We're at four. Yeah, Mahomes. Mahomes over 5,000, obviously, this year. Um, so five. Nine? They all have five. Well, I mean, it's, got, it's all like recent guys, yeah. too. It's got to be like literally in the past two years. Well, Brady, like you said. <laughs> Mahomes this year. Did Herbert go for 5,000 plus last year? I want to say he did. He had a zillion attempts. I, I, I'll say that I wouldn't have guessed that there are nine. Okay. I wouldn't have either. I would have said like six. Yeah. I don't think Rodgers ever has. He's never been like volume. I, I don't think so either. Um, Is there like a Stafford year? Ooh, I, I do like Stafford in this. Yeah. Maybe even last year. Okay, I'll, I'll, I like Stafford. So we're at six. Or with Herbert, Jeez. seven. If we count Herbert. Okay. I mean, we're, we have to count anyone that pops into your head because we're never going to get to nine if we don't. Yeah. Who else went over 5,000? You know, what? Oh, Jameis. Jameis. Okay. I like that. What was that? Yeah, 19? that makes sense. Or 18. Um, because he led the league in passing yards that year, right? I think. The 30 for 30 year, right? Mm-hmm. 30 for 30. <laughs> 30 picks, 30 TDs. Um, gosh, who else? Man, this is... It, uh, Let's see the Do you think going. there was anyone pre-Breeze? You know, let's say pre-2010. Pre-2010, like anyone else in that era that went for 5K? I, no, I don't think so. Yeah, like in, basically between Marino and Breeze, mm -hmm. do we think there's anything? And I, I man, man, that's tough. I mean, it would have been Brady or Manning, right? I, yeah, it's like there's no one there's no one like other than, than those guys than that those it would have been. Yeah. Uh, let's see. We got Big Ben call out. Unless the answer is like Sammy Baugh, like, you know, like norm van brocklin or some weird thing <laughs> no nah, like it, it's it's a real football player <laughs> what are you trying to say what are you trying to say wow Gwalt's pissed chat champ um all right we got big ben shout out in the chat we have philip river shout out in the chat um yeah rivers makes sense kurt warner ben, yeah warner is 
The well, it's not. It it, it would be. It would be a later Warner. Yeah. Thing. Like it wouldn't be like um, Greatest Show on Turf because they ran the ball so much. I think yeah. those years. Gosh. All right. We'll have to think about it. We'll get back. Ooh, Deshaun yeah. Watson. Did he? That's not a bad call out. What was it eighteen? Deshaun yeah. was his best year. Or was it nineteen? Possibly. Uh, nineteen was his okay, best. Nineteen year. was his best year. Okay. All right. Well, we have five. We feel good about. We'll get back to that at the end of the show here. But let's get into this wild card round preview. We're going to start with the AFC, then move on to the NFC. Two matchups apiece. We're going to start with the Dolphins at the Bills. Dolphins, a 13-and-a-half-point dog traveling to Buffalo. Over-under in that game is 43-and-a-half. Seth, what are the matchups you, first matchup that you're looking forward to? Yeah, I think this is obviously – 13 and a half points. So we're expecting a Bills win. They did beat them in Buffalo not too long ago. So, mm-hmm. you know, we have some precedent there of a game in in, um, in in Buffalo in the cold. It was snowing that day. The interesting thing for me is like, can they get, can the Dolphins defense get Josh Allen on the floor? They've only converted 14.3% of their pressures into sacks versus Josh Allen this season. Both games won the obviously very hot day, won the very cold day. We're going to get another cold day, like I said. If you can't get Josh Allen on the ground, he's just going to make you pay. And especially if they're going to play so much man coverage, which we know the Dolphins are going to do, hey, you can create outside the pocket. You're going to get guys open versus man coverage. You're going to get yourself open to run the football. We know Josh Allen can do that. So I think like getting him on the floor is going to be such an important factor in this game. And I, I, look, it's hard to do that. It's not like, it's not like, oh yeah, we'll simply tackle Josh Allen when he's in the pocket. Obviously super hard to do that, but hopefully this can be um, a game where they, they get it done and they keep it close. Yeah, I will say Jalen Phillips, the second year edge defender, defensive end, Miami Dolphins, 18th overall pick last year had like one of the quietest second-year breakouts we've ever seen from a defensive end. Usually first-round picks who have 70 pressures in a season like he did, nine sacks, 17 quarterback hits. Like Usually people are raving about this guy, but obviously because of the other bigger names, there are other storylines in Miami, Like he kind of flew under the radar. So if they do have a guy that can get it done, it is him. I, I will say uh, my first matchup is in a similar vein to that. It's not only like getting in and sacking Josh Allen. It is forcing those turnover-worthy plays. Like, the only way the Bills lose this game, in my opinion, when you're 13.5-point dogs, is if they give it away. Pick six, fumble six, big turnovers and big situations going back the other way because we didn't say off the top, but Tua's not playing this game, obviously. Tua's still out sideline with that concussion. When he hasn't been in, it's been a completely different offense in terms of effectiveness. Obviously, they beat him the first time around with Tua healthy in the lineup, second time around, not the case. So, that, to me, is the thing. Josh Allen, league leader this year, 29 turnover-worthy plays in seven of his last 10 games. Double, or excuse me, multiple turnover-worthy plays in seven of his last 10 games. That, to me, is the big matchup, You know, kind of going off of yours as well, where it's like game-changing plays are the only way the Miami Dolphins win this game. Big plays with Tyreek, big plays with John Waddle, or big plays back the other way defensively. Because if not, they are just resoundly outclassed in a number of other areas, unfortunately. Like you brought it up, the turnover worthy plays. It's been a weird season for Josh, and especially I would say like in the red zone where he's had some uncharacteristically weird plays. Mm-hmm. Let's put it that way. And you're right. I mean, if they can get those type of situations again, freak plays, a sack fumble, something like that, you can be in this game. And I and I also say like, I think that the Dolphins' offense. We're getting another week of Skylar Thompson being the starting quarterback, taking all the reps in practice. We know how good the supporting cast is on the outside. Raheem Mostert had a, I think, had a pretty good um, campaign this season in Miami. Mike McDaniel is great. I mean, we clearly can tell that Mike McDaniel is a really good uh, schemer and offensive coordinator. Maybe this is the year. This is the game for for a Skylar Thompson breakout. You know, I put it in my in, in, in the packet before. The Bills haven't been able to get after the quarterback since Von Miller went down with injury. And and it is funny because I think across the board we saw some better play from all that those defensive linemen when Von Miller was injured. And it feels like since Von Miller's out, like they're all just not the same player. 
And so, if you know, you can hold on to the football if you're a little bit longer, if you're Skylar Thompson, and then and then look who's down the field, right? The two, the best, you know, receiver duo in the league. So there's a chance, but there is a reason it's 13 and a half points. Yeah, that really just speaks to how guys like Von Miller, the elite edge rushers, are like force multipliers, that how much they have to be accounted for opens things up for everyone else. My second matchup was kind of what I alluded to earlier is that Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle against this Buffalo Bills secondary. That's the biggest matchup is just put a cap on it. So many teams that over the second half of this season, uh, so many defenses were able to do that against this Miami Dolphins offense, basically take away a lot of things. One of the, you know, that RPO you highlighted, basically defenses, I don't want to say figured it out, but had answers over the second half of the season, knew what was coming, kind of took away their core plays and made them play left-handed, so to speak or right-handed when two was in the game. But that to me is the, that to me is the biggest matchup. Don't that? let his dad hear that. Oh, my God. Like, <laughs> his, his dad is listening to this podcast. <laughs> but Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle against that, that. That's, you know, first in the NFL in yards per out run, Tyreek Hill. Third in the NFL yards per out run, Jalen Waddle. Just basically don't let those guys go off and Buffalo Bills run away with this, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, it's, it's going to be tough. And I think – I, you know, look, they kept it close in, what was it, week 14 or whatever it was. Mostert had a big day. It, like, the thing about that play that you're talking about is, like, there's some room for them because it takes so much energy and resources to stop the pass option off the RPO that, hey, maybe you can hand the ball off a few times and and, and split some big runs and keep it close that way like they did uh, – a month ago. Yeah, I do think 13 and a half, a little bit too rich for my blood, but I do think we both agreed that Buffalo Bills yeah. advancing to the divisional round. Next game up in the AFC slate, we're going to go to the Ravens-Bengals Sunday night game here in Cincinnati. What is your first matchup? Or let me get to the line here real quick. Cincinnati, nine and a half point favorites. Obviously, no Lamar Jackson in this game. Over under only 40 and a half points, not giving the Ravens offense a ton of credit there. What's the matchup to watch for you? I think what I didn't realize, I, I, I shouldn't say that, I knew this, but I wanted to believe that Tyler Huntley could still give the Ravens something on the ground. And that's just not been there. And and Huntley was good last season. He just hasn't been very good this year. I'm assuming he's going to play. I think he did practice yesterday, so probably going to play. And you end up in a situation where that – Baltimore offensive line has played pretty well since Lamar was injured. They've been prying open some really nice holds for the running backs, but then you don't have the explosive play potential from the quarterback position. And, you know, I, I put it up here on read option plays. Lamar is at 8.7 yards per carry and Tyler Huntley is at 1.9. I mean, that is like stark difference. And, and again, it's like, yes, obviously Lamar is the best in the league at that, but I didn't think it would be such a drop-off this season from from going from to Tyler Huntley. So that to me is like, they just can't create any explosive plays. And the same, it's the same is true in the passing game. Downfield throws have not been there since Tyler Huntley went out. So it's going to be tough for them to create anything explosive. Like I said, the running game has been good when they hand the ball off to the running backs generally. But not being able to create explosives in the passing game or with the quarterback runs, it's it's a problem. They, no one respects it, right? Like, no one respects the threat of the downfield pass. So everyone's just saying, hey, we know if they're going to beat us, they're going to try to do it on the ground with Tyler Huntley. And so they're begging him, just begging him to throw, throw the ball down the football field, and he's not. 7.6-yard average depth of target, really not much going down the football field. I think in five games, only 658 passing yards. So, yeah, the Ravens offense has been pretty anemic without Lamar Jackson. There, there's not a lot of matchups, in my, uh, truthfully, to like even highlight in this game because how one-sided it really is. But there is one matchup that I do think, if you're going you know, step-by-step, step, you know, matchup-by-matchup, that actually favors the Ravens in this game and that if they are to win, if they are to pull off this massive upset that it would be, it's going to come via this matchup, and it's this Ravens edge-rushing conglomerate versus the Bengals' offensive tackle. Like, that's it. That's the one where if you're going to stop the Cincinnati Bengals offense, it's going to come because guys like Justin Houston, guys like Adafi Owe have monster games because this pass blocking duo, Jonah Williams, 63.9 pass blocking grade this year, 
Kima Dinoche, 48.4 pass blocking grade this year. You have Ravens edge rushing, like I said, those guys, Houston, Oway, they're not lights out, but they are guys that can, when they have a mismatch, like obviously this looks like a mismatch, that can still take over games. So, uh, and veterans like Justin Houston are the guys you worry about in the playoffs because it's on the line. Like they got something to play for. It's hard to get up when you're in year 13 as a defensive end for a regular season you know, away game, whereas playoff away game, just a little different animal. So that's the one where, again, if the Ravens are going to win this game, they're going to have to dominate that matchup. And, and this actually kind of plays into my next point because one of the things that you saw the Ravens do last weekend when these, when these two teams played each other was really try to avoid, and we've been talking about this for two years now, but really try to avoid allowing Joe Burrow access one-on-ones down the sideline. And they played a ton of any type of coverage where there was at least some sort of too high, right? And then you can at least double receivers with with cloud corners, with cover two, with quarters to one side, you know, whether it's full cover two, whether it's, uh, you know, quarter, quarter, half, half, quarter, quarter, whatever it may be. So just doing that, if you can keep Burrow from just like taking his three-step drop, throwing the ball down the sideline, letting Jamar Chase make a play, which he did, he, he kind of touched on, on one of the few times that they gave them the one-on-one and he threw a touchdown to Jamar Chase. And then there was another play on the other, on the, uh, I think the opposite side of the field where they had a one-on-one and Chase kind of dropped it in the end zone. So he will take those chances, but you can play with what everyone is calling the shell coverage, too high shell coverage and make Burrow hold on to it, make him check it down, get those pass rushers on him. There's a chance. There's a chance. And they didn't play very well. That's that's not like they had a lot of short fields. There was a lot of bad Ravens offense that led to Mm -hmm. Bengals points last week. They haven't played well against the Bengals this season. So, you know, maybe Mike McDaniel can can cook cook something up. And and you can see the numbers there. 53.2 passing grade on 28 dropbacks versus the Ravens cover two and cover six this season. A lot of sacks. I even put in there DJ Reader. That's the other side of the ball. But DJ Reader, his return is important for the Bengals going forward, not just in, the, in this game, but going forward. Yeah, my next matchup actually goes to what you spoke about with the Ravens secondary, limiting those sort of uh, one-on-ones on the outside. And it's Kyle Hamilton, and I think they can do that. They can stay in too high because of his emergence from the slot. He's kind of transformed their defense second half of the season when they just said, hey, Kyle Hamilton, you're a slot cornerback versus first half of the season where they're kind of, you know, rotating him in at safety and other different positions they're basically now just saying hey we can live in too high because Kyle Hamilton's a third linebacker from that slot position basically the way he's able to defend the run 84.8 run defense grade on the season 76.8 coverage five pass breakups on the season 82.3 overall grade he's been fantastic in that role so going up against a guy like Tyler Boyd like it's not going to be one-on-one coverage against a guy like Tyler Boyd but I think what he can do in shutting down the screen game uh, that the Bengals can run on the outside, shutting down the run game could force or could keep the Ravens basically in this game and just put a cap on the explosive plays from the Bengals. So if there is a silver lining or hope, it's from that as well as that Kyle Hamilton's emergence allows them to just stay in kind of too high defenses. One of my favorite um, storylines this season has been Kyle Hamilton moving to, like you said, the slot. He's been awesome. Right. And they're just like not this they they found this perfect situation. And like you said, like they kind of didn't know what they were what they wanted to do early in the season. Cause you you went out and you signed Marcus Williams. He is a very specific type of safety. You have Chuck Clark, he's another specific type of safety. You add Kyle Hamilton, first round pick, he's got to see the field. They were like, Okay, well, maybe Chuck Clark's our dime player. He's gonna and then put Kyle Hamilton a slot. The defense has been lights out since then. The length there, um, the instincts, the playmaking, obviously the speed. He's been awesome. And I think it's kind of set the blueprint, and not to get too off topic here, but from like a draft perspective, I think that's going to be the blueprint for slots going forward in the NFL. People are going to be looking for that guy. Like look, at, look at Arizona. Yeah. Isaiah Sims, like people are going to be putting that guy, the guy who's been said to be, you know, everyone calls those guys tweeners or guys who are hybrids, can be linebacker slash safeties. No, those are just slot corners now. And I think that's where they're going to be best utilized in a lot of NFL defenses. So uh, I think it's going to be even like it'll trickle down to a certain degree or maybe trickle, whatever. But the college ranks 
So with all the RPOs, you get a guy out there with the wingspan of a Kyle Hamilton mm-hmm. in those windows. That is a huge deal when you're defending all those slant RPOs and stuff. We see them a lot less in the NFL, but they are there. And Hamilton just helps with that tremendously. Yeah, there's a couple guys in this class, again, not to get too off topic, that I would like in that. Antonio Johnson from Texas A&M already plays in that role for Texas A&M. And then a guy named DeMarvian Overshone from Texas, more of a traditional linebacker, but he's 6'4", 225. I think guys like that are going to be moved to the slot at the next level more and more. All right, on to the last game in the AFC here. We're going Chargers-Jaguars main event Saturday night. Chargers are favorites on the road by two and a half, despite obviously this game getting played, I believe it was week two or week three of the regular season. Jaguars blew them out in that one. What do you is your matchup, first matchup to watch here? So I looked at the the Jaguars being a very good team against man coverage. The Chargers kind of playing against type, let's say, this season and playing a lot of man coverage. Now, they've been better the second half of the season. Michael Davis has played better. I think they haven't really played some great quarterbacks in the second half where kind of their defense has seen a resurgence. So that's kind of the caveat here. They won't have seen a a team on offense like this. And I think from the Jaguars' perspective, when you look at where they've kind of been able to be good against man coverage is they just have a solid set of receivers. You know, one through four with uh jones and jones and ingram and christian kirk it's like pick your poison now are any of them an elite player no but they're all above average they all can make plays they run a lot of bunch and stacks so you can get mixed up in coverage when they do that stuff so it's been really interesting to see now why are they really good in this particular passing stat because of trevor lawrence because trevor lawrence is plays with timing and accuracy and making the right decisions all the time the past you know three months so that's the main reason why but um there was the the kind of um level playing field that they give you in terms of who's going to get the ball is an important factor there yeah i was going to say part of that reason to be man coverage is that like every guy can't feasibly win one-on-one like they have depth but the the biggest reason is that like lawrence has been nails like this is second highest grade quarterback since week nine and and my matchup to watch is just Shit, it's Herbert versus Lawrence. To me, these are like two of the most similarly tooled quarterbacks. Like everyone makes the Herbert to Josh Allen comp, but I think kind of just who they are athletically and how they play a position, like Herbert to Lawrence, to me is like a closer comp uh, stylistically and just who they are as quarterbacks. And I think Lawrence is on the way to overtaking Herbert to a degree here with his performance the second half of the season. Uh, And I love what he's done. Fourth highest grade quarterback also from a clean pocket. That was over the course of the entire season. So, when kept clean, when he's not under pressure, Lawrence has lit dudes up. And so that's, to me, the matchup to watch is that Lawrence, if you can keep him clean, I think the Jaguars win this one and could win this one going away like they did last time they played. And I think the, the clean pocket stuff is interesting because he's the one who's creating clean pockets for himself. Like, he's the one who, who gets the ball off on time. This is this has been his game for so long, like getting the ball off on time, making the right decisions. And then I think what's changed is the under, when he does, like, obviously, no matter what, no matter how good you are, you're going to play under pressure at some times. What he's done is he's cut down on the negative plays when he is under pressure, when he's, like, trying to force plays. He doesn't do that anymore. Um and it's been lights out. And I, and I agree with you. Playstyle-wise, these two are like extremely similar in what they want to do. I think the biggest difference really is scheme, coaching, mm-hmm. uh, supporting talent, and all that stuff has been, it's completely different. So I think they're both the same. I'll still, you know, I'll give Herbert a little bit of an edge because we've seen more high-level play from him over, over, um, over the two careers. Um, but they're basically the same. And like Lawrence is going to be talked about as, you know, last week when the NFL chose Aaron Rodgers over Trevor Lawrence for the NBC game. Now, I understand Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers and it could be his last game as a Packer. But I don't know if NBC does that very often anymore going forward with Trevor Lawrence. I think he's going to be one of the faces of the NFL for for the next 10 years. Yeah, I mean, I feel like he's going to be, I mean, similar to Josh Allen in Buffalo where it's like not a huge market, but the name's going to transcend and still going to draw eyeballs after that. Like that's this is the last of the Jaguars being, you know, the quote unquote Jaguars. So, what's your uh, second matchup to watch here? 
So the other thing was, I, I thought that Jawan Taylor, the right tackle mm-hmm. for the uh, Jaguars, is having like a pretty solid season. And he's going to have to go against Joy Bosa. Back from injury, we're, we're assuming he's going to play this week. I think there was a little bit of a, a nagging thing after last week. But back from injury, he had five pass rush snaps versus Jawan Taylor in that week through game. And before he got injured, before he got injured, zero wins for Joey Bosa. So that is a huge matchup. If Jawan Taylor, I'm not saying like if Joey Bosa plays, he's gonna get some pressures. But if you can, if you can, you know, hold him down a little bit, I think that goes a long way in in the Jaguars being able. And again, we talk about clean pockets, like keeping those pockets clean. And the other side, Walker Little has played played fine. Which is which is good. Like saying that Walker Little has played fine in replacement of Cam Robinson is a good thing. Um, so that's been a, a matchup, and he'll go against Khalil Mack on that side. So interesting to watch that matchup. Yeah, I will say Chargers. Bosa back now. Obviously played limited snaps the past two weeks, but we've only seen two full games of him and this Chargers defense. So really, like, don't know what it's going to look like, as we just talked about with Von Miller being a force multiplier in Buffalo, very much could be the similar sort of thing here with the Chargers. And also if they win this game, Rashawn Slater could come back for the divisional round. Very interesting storylines to follow there for them. My last matchup, though, Josh Allen, edge rusher, Jacksonville Jaguars, Trey Pipkins. This is kind of the one-on-one matchup to watch. Right tackle's been the problem child for this Chargers offensive line vast majority of the season. But Pipkins been solid. Over the past handful of games, only three pressures in his past four games. That's probably the matchup to watch along that offensive line, if there is any. You got a pick for this game at all? Which side you're leaning? I'm leaning Jags. I think Jags at home makes the most sense, and and I think that Trevor's just been Trevor's been my favorite quarterback to watch probably the last month of the season. So I got to go with him. But but I think like yeah, uh, you got to go with them. You know, especially if the Chargers are favorite. Like if you want to make some money, I guess there's value on the on the Jaguars. Yeah, I tend to agree there. All right, let's go to the NFC. Kick it over where we'll start with the Saturday afternoon game. Seattle traveling to San Francisco. They are nine and a half point dogs in this one. Over under set at 42. Not predicting a ton of points. Unsurprising with that number one ranked 49ers defense. So what is your first matchup to watch from this one? So I'm going off the board here because it hit me as I was thinking about it the past couple minutes. It's just when you think about the game in, I think it was week 13 in Seattle, Purdy's, I think second start of the year. So the, the Seattle gets blown out. It doesn't really feel like a game, but there were some really fluky type plays. There was a, a, a defensive touchdown by the 49ers. There was a very obvious dropped interception by Quandre Diggs that could have been a pick six, to be honest. And it was probably closer matchup to, uh, to you know on the field than the score probably indicates so I, I think it could be a lot closer I think there's there's something there with this team the Seahawks the biggest matchup though is gonna have to be Nick Bosa versus Charles Cross this has been the two tackles two rookie tackles for the Seahawks have been kind of boomer bust now they're rookies, so I have hopes for them going forward. I still think they're they're going to be good players uh, in their career, and I think the Seahawks hit on both those picks. However, second half of the season, Cross and Lucas have not played very well, and that's led to just them not having great offensive outputs. Like when your two tackles aren't playing well and your two tackles are rookies, it's going to be tough even for a player as good as Geno Smith. So you look at the matchup here, Nick Bosa versus Charles Cross. Bosa has six pressures and a sack versus Cross in the two games this season. So that that's like, if they could just get a stalemate or like, you know, just like a, a, a slightly below average Nick Bosa game, I think they could be in this game. If not, you know, we're going to have some problems again, and it's going to be tough for, for Gino and the offense to move the football. Yeah, I'll tell you right now, they're not getting a stalemate. That's, Cross is the kind of uh, <laughs> tackle that Bosa just kills. Like the guys that yeah. struggle – with power, the, the guys that can't, uh, you know, anchor against that first punch that a guy like Bosa throws at you, kind of like the slimmer, lighter tackles. Other guys that Bosa just, he goes to town. First game against them, 90.2 pass rushing grade. Second game against them, 91.9 pass rushing grade. Anytime they go one-on-one, it, he was toying with them, it seemingly. So basically this matchup is going to have to be decided by scheme. 
you're going to have to chip. You're going to have to do whatever it takes to not let them go one-on-one because it's just it's going to be over. It's going to be over if you let them that happen. My first matchup, hopefully a matchup that I just want to see the Seahawks do well is Tariq Woolen. Not, didn't have a pass breakup, didn't have a pick in either of the two games against the 49ers this year, didn't make any you know, of those splash plays that he's been known for, but I still think that he's very capable of them. Obviously led the league in picks this year, tied for the league league with six picks, nine pass breakups, ninth highest coverage grade among corners in the NFL. I'm just excited. He's probably going to go against Brandon Ayuk the most. He's the most often left wide receiver in that offense, but there's no real it's not a static offense by any means. So he's not really going to be matched up with any one player for the majority of the time. Like, say, the flip side of the ball is where the Seahawks are way more static with DK on the left, uh, Lockett on the right. But I just want to see Woolen. I want to see Woolen make a play because his off-ball breaks. Like, it, I think it, this is the game where you just tell him, go make a play. Like, do what it takes to make a play. We're not going to – I don't care if you get beat on a double move. We're not going to be able to consistently stop this 49ers offense with how – talented they are we need someone to make a game change play and obviously Tariq Woolen is the guy you would think of that defense to do so so that's the matchup that I hope if the Seahawks have any chance of winning that they win this one well I mean it, it, you know you can say the same thing about any of these games in terms of how does the underdog win and it's like fluke play Flukes. big plays on defense special teams right so I, I I agree with you I think that's gonna be tough I if I'm not mistaken, Debo didn't play that first game. I assume he's going to be back this week. So that's also another piece of the pie there. McCaffrey ran the ball well in that game. Going to be tough. I, I agree that, you know, and when you look at that game, and again, this this could play in the Seahawks factors. Like, you look at the George Kittle uh, first touchdown. They ran that, you know, fake screen to one side, fake swing to the other side, and then, you know, Kittle is wide open. You had a few more of Kittle being wide open on busted coverage. I think Bullen was was the factor in one of the busted coverages on on the second Kittle touchdown. So you had a lot of guys just, like, wide open. You could just not do that. <laughs> you could be <laughs> in the game, potentially. So I think there's a chance there. I mean, and Again, it's, you know, Gino has played out of his mind at times this year, and maybe you get a game like that from him. Again, the issue is the tackles, right? Mm -hmm. Like, he's played out of his mind when the tackles have been okay. Tackles haven't been good recently, save for last week against the Rams, and and they won the game. So, I don't know. Going to be tough. What is your second matchup here, 49ers? See you. Yeah, I put something that I that I, I was curious about is, like, what they were trying to do against against the Seahawks uh, offense, what the 49ers defense was doing, playing a lot of cover three, uh, which is what they do. They are a zone defense team. But Geo Smith has torched them. 88.4 passing grade versus the 49ers cover three, 8.3 yards per attempt. So, you know, doing what you can to get them into those sets. Now, obviously, on the flip side of, you know, they're saying, hey, you know, they kill us on this play, that play, you know, this concept. Maybe we'll stay in quarters. Maybe we'll try and stop the run quarters and and, and kind of handle it that way that to me is an interesting there's a, probably a lot of noise when you talk about splits within a game within two games and covered splits but still uh interesting um stats there all right my last matchup gonna go to this gotta go a little quicker here brock purdy against primetime like brock purdy just showing up for a playoff game the way he's shown up the last five. Like, I, I, I just don't buy it yet. I don't buy that a Mr. Irrelevant is going to walk into the playoffs and just roll the way he has. And now I haven't bought it and after the very first game. And he's done it and proved a lot of people wrong. And I was one of the highest guys on Brock Purdy coming out still. But I just think that at some point, the lights are going to get a little too big. I just don't see how they couldn't for a guy like that. Would love to be proven wrong because I think Brock Purdy is an awesome, awesome story. But my God, at some point, it just the turnover-worthy plays, the big mistakes have to come because he is a seventh-round rookie. I, like it's it's really crazy that we're even talking about this at this point with how that they're like the favorites now, one of the favorites in the NFC with how well he's played. So I had I had this later in the show as one of my bold predictions that the Purdy magic would run out, and honestly, it's not even that bold of a prediction. But I'm I'm in agreement with you. Like at the end of the day, like. There is, as you just look at the probability, there is more of a chance that Brock Purdy is not the greatest quarterback of all time than he is the greatest quarterback of all time. 
right? Like that. Like <laughs> I, I know he's played really well. I'm not even trying to take away anything that, from those games that he has played this year. But going forward, you would still believe that it will run out eventually. I hope not. Like you said, it, it's been fun to watch, um, and it gives another element to this offense that we didn't have with Jimmy with Jimmy Garoppolo. And it's been fun to see them take chances on the outside, which we've been yelling about for the <laughs> 49ers for years. Um, but yeah, more likely than not, Brock Purdy is not uh, a starting NFL quarterback in this league. He's not him. He's just not him. That's more likely than not. All right, on to the next game here. Giants at Vikings, the Sunday afternoon, 4.30 game. Vikings, three-and-a-half-point favorites in this one. 90% of the cash, though, is on the Giants in this one. Over-under is 48. I, I like the under in that one. What is your matchup, though, to watch here as Giants tear the Vikings? Okay, so first thing before we talk about anything football-related, if you'll remember the Week 16 game, it was the whiteout in the, in the Metrodome, whatever the Metrodome is called now. I kind of liked it. The Vikings were wearing all white. Everyone in the stands was wearing white. It's not bad. Not quite a Penn State whiteout. What if if we could get like a purple out for this week's game? All purple. You know they've they've worn that color rush all purple before. Everyone in the stands wearing purple. I think that gives them a little bit of an extra juice. Is that too close to so blue I, though? That's like purple. Is if you combine the Giants colors, that'd be purple. Right. The close? Giants would have to wear all white. Okay. Uh, white Which is a good cleaner, jersey matchup. In my white, out, white outs are always way cleaner than an all color. It would look like they, <laughs> the it'll look like there's no one in the stands because the seats are purple there, right? All right, let's talk about football then. Okay, <laughs> let's enough of fa- enough fashion. I did fashion on the show. I did zipper skip like two you days did ago. Skip? I'm fashioned oh, that's out right here. up your alley. Um, <laughs> so Adore Jackson did not play in the first meeting, week sixteen. And it's really interesting to see the Giants game plan versus Justin Jefferson and the Vikings offense in that game. Giants are a pressure man coverage football team, except when they played the Vikings because they just didn't feel, and without Adore Jackson, who is their best corner, they did not feel like they could just match up, you know, without a safety over top, without two safeties there against Justin Jefferson. Justin Jefferson still had a bunch of yards in that game and a bunch of catches. I think Fabian Moreau um, kind of shadowed him, but they still didn't play straight cover one. So I think that's the thing. Like, could you get away with a little more um, being who you are this week with Adore Jackson back? You shadow him, you know, you can still play a safety over to that side. Maybe you blitz more. I will say this is kind of kind of related, but where Jefferson and Kirk Cousins and this offense have been really good when they do see unfavorable scheme matchups outbreakers and inbreakers against that kind of trail corner i don't want to get too much into the details here but kirk has been throwing the ball on time on those like 10 yard outbreakers 10 yard inbreakers before the safety has a chance to drive in they've been so good at that so it doesn't even matter what coverage you play but i think it's possible that they try to you know heat kirk cousins up obviously they 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 gotten after the quarterback um in the week 16 game so maybe that's a little scheme change that they try to bring in this into this game yeah dory jackson he has to be one of the most underrated corners in the nfl i mean he has been six years now never had a below average coverage grade seven pass breakups in two in 10 games before he did get hurt so if he goes like that is a big addition to that defense especially when you have to match up with a guy like justin jefferson now you're not going to trust him to go one-on-one against a guy like justin jefferson but like the guy, you know, everyone's doubling Justin Jefferson now. Everyone's putting safety over the top. Everyone's, like, game planning for him. But still the, you know, the initial contact guy or the initial guy in that when you are doubling a guy like Justin Jefferson is massive. Like, you can't just put a scrub on him and expect a double to work. Oftentimes that almost leaves you worse off when you're doing that. So that will be huge for them. The other matchup that I think is going to be huge for the Giants is Dexter Lawrence against what could be Garrett Bradbury coming back from injury in this one? I think he's been out since week 13. First time they matched up, it was uh, backup in that game. But Dexter Lawrence, from the nose, unparalleled this year. Dude deserves some defensive player of the year love. Glad that he got a first-team all-pro nod because he's been that good. 40 pressures as a nose tackle this year. Next closest nose tackle in the NFL from an A-gap alignment was 13. I mean, so far and away. And obviously some of that's Wink Martindale and his scheme. And what they do from a blitzing perspective, freeing him up to go one-on-one 
from the nose tackle position because a lot of teams just see that as an unfavorable matchup. Third downs aren't even going to put a guy there. But Dexter Lawrence, what he's been able to do, it's not a matchup that you just can win. You know, like when it, when you can't scheme to, I guess, double an A-gap player. It just leaves you open at other places. Uh, A-gap's definitely is just like a position you double by alignment, and the Giants do things to get that to where you can't double by alignment. So, yeah, Dexter Lawrence, I think he's going to go off, and I think this Giants defensive line is going to be able to get pressure on the Minnesota Vikings and Kirk Cousins. Uh, let me ask you a question as we flip over to the other side of the ball in the trenches. I look at a guy like Evan Neal, and, and, and I put this in here, one of my matchups here is going to be Daniel Hunter and Darius Smith versus Evan Neal. They had a re- combined for a pretty good game against him, you know, a lot of pressure, some sacks against Evan Neal. I was wondering um, your thoughts because, you know, thinking about Evan Neal this year, and I think a lot of people assume that, well, he's, you know, this – great prospect and he'll come in there and he'll play now the Giants have a history now of a guy coming in year one not playing very well and then becoming one of the best players at his position so still a lot of room to grow for Evan Neal but I think that's my question is like when I remember watching Evan Neal at Alabama I was like hey there's actually a lot of projection going on like he is far from a finished product so does this surprise you like I I still think we're probably both in the same boat that he will become this really good player at some point but i don't think this this first year struggles really surprised me when i think about it um his tape from alabama no i was worried for sure i mean he's a physical specimen but he struggles with guys that get into his pads he gets off balance easily which is why i think this is a very bad matchup for him this is my other matchup to watch too because daniel hunter is a guy that can live with that length live with that first contact right into your shoulder pads and has a ton of moves he can work off of that so first matchup Neil allowed seven pressures in that game, a sack, three hits. Like, he got dominated. I I don't think that's going to be any different in this one. I just think the thing you're going to do to mitigate that is the Giants is just going to go a lot more run-heavy than you did the first time. And I think they went 52 passes to 17 runs the first time. I think you're going to see that flipped to try to keep them in the game this one. All right. I tend to go with... The Vikings in this one just because I, I don't trust the Giants offense but I, I I do think that three points I get to me is more of a coin flip than three points it, it is purely a heads or tails for me at this one what about yourself I'm not I'm not touching this game <laughs> like fair. you cannot get me you know you look at this first game it, it's not even that long ago week 16 close game I think they're very evenly matched teams so I don't even want to think about I'm going to watch this game without any pressures of losing all my money this week. Well, I got the under. 48 is just too much for that one. I think it's going to be low scoring. Last game now to preview, though, the Monday night game. Cowboys travel to Tampa Bay. Unfortunately, Trevor couldn't be here to preview why his Buccaneers will run away with the W like they did in week one because they played way back when, 19-3. to Obviously, Dak got hurt in that game, missed the next handful of games. He's now back, but kind of limping into the barn here. Come playoff time, what matchups are you watching in this one? First thing, Cowboys offense has been great since Dak returned. Even when you include the Washington game now, that was obviously horrifying. But, you know, this stretch from week seven till now, they've been great. One of their key issues has very weirdly been Tyron Smith since he's been back from injury. Now, the thing is, he's not playing at his normal left tackle spot. Well, he will be most likely a Hall of Famer. He's at right tackle, and he struggled. Ten pressures allowed on only 161 pass pro snaps this year. You know, this is a decision they made. They wanted to keep Tyler Smith at left tackle because he's a rookie. He had had kind of grown into that position during the season. They didn't want to move him around again. They put Tyron Smith at right tackle. He's taken some time to figure out that side of the ball. Now, it's Tyron Smith, so you would believe that one of these days, he'll he'll figure it out, zero pressures allowed, a 99.9 pass block grade, whatever it is. But still, you know, it, it is an interesting thing to look at. That might be um, one of the issues on this Cowboys offense. Yeah, they kind of, they, in week 18, they went to a little bit of a different line than they had gone to any point this year. They went Peters at left tackle. Tyler Smith at left guard, Tyron Smith at right tackle, switched up multiple guys to multiple positions that they haven't played to get Peters at left tackle. I think they saw in that one that 
mm, maybe that's not where we want to go. <laughs> maybe we want to try something a little differently. So I'm interested to see what they do come out with this weekend. But I will say the Bucks' pass rush has not had the kind of same teeth. We'll see if come playoff time they step it up, but it has not had the same teeth. This is not the same D-line that they were sending out Super Bowl year. It's just not nowhere near the same amount of dominance. My first matchup to watch, though, comes on the other side of the ball. Other defensive line versus other offensive line, just because it's probably the single best one-on-one -on -one matchup we're going to see this week, and it's Micah Parsons against Tristan Wirfs. Uh, you talk about probably two top three players at their respective positions in the NFL going head-to-head -head for the majority of the matchup. We saw it in week one. Uh, Parsons had five pressures in that game. Only two of them came versus Tristan Wirfs. So both guys had good games. Parsons obviously moves around a, little, a good amount, but mostly when he is rushing, is rushing against right tackle. So we'll see what they do with him in this game. But you just look right there. 92.1 pass rush grade for Parsons. Second best in the NFL this season behind only Miles Garrett. Tristan Wirfs, 90.5 pass blocking grade. Second in the NFL behind only Laramie Tunsil. So elite versus elite. Even if there may be no mismatch here, it's still a get your popcorn ready matchup. And funnily enough, the, the first time these two matched up was two years ago, obviously, week one, the, the Thursday night game, was when I saw Mike Parsons put a spin move on Tristan Wirfs, and I was like, oh boy, here he comes. Because he beat Tristan Wirfs better than I saw anyone beat Tristan Wirfs this whole rookie season. And that's when you knew Mike Parsons was going to be something special. So getting the third time of this matchup is going to be just, just going to be good football. That's all I said. It's good football. Yeah, and I think Parsons is such an interesting case here what they've done with him on defense the past month past two months so i put i put in there the first week you know you talked about him doing that spin move against Wirfs. he only played 20 percent of his snaps as a defensive lineman in that week one game they were still thought he was an off-ball linebacker now skip forward one year to week one this season and it's 65 percent of his snaps at d-line so like okay well clearly we know who we have now we've had a year under a belt we know he's a, he's a really good pass rusher but we still want to give him reps at off-ball linebacker and then the packers game happened in week 11 and the packers did a great job of creating personnel matchups to keep the uh, great pass rusher at off-ball linebacker he played a lot of snaps at off-ball linebacker in that game, and he's just not that type of player. He's like just an okay off-ball linebacker. And the Cowboys said, okay, enough of this. Like, <laughs> we're done with this. He is a pass rusher since that game. 95% of his snaps have been on the defensive line. So the Cowboys are kind of seeing this for the first time. And, you know, you look at all those stats that we just put up from week one last year, from week one this year, he's not even a full-time edge rusher. So now he's going to get his hand in the dirt. Well, he's in a two-point stance very often, but he's going to he's going to get his proverbial hand in the dirt and uh, kind of rush the passer from 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 you know the first snap to the last snap. Yeah, I do love that after that Green Bay game. So fourteen snaps, fourteen times drops into coverage in that one. And like you said, he was like an off-ball linebacker via the personnel that they were sending out. They forced him into doing that. Since then, he's dropped into coverage four times the rest of the season. <laughs> four times the rest of the season, which is like. That's what he. That's what he's best at. Like off-ball linebacker. I don't care how good he is. Even if like the threat of a blitz is not as worrisome for opposing offenses than just him being there every single snap. I think it's kind of what the Cardinals, or I guess not even the Cardinals. Cardinals realized with like a guy like Hassan Reddick. Like the pass rushing aspect. If a guy's good enough to do it on the ball, that's more valuable than anything he can do from an off-ball perspective. My second matchup to watch here is none other than Tom Brady in the playoffs for maybe one last hurrah, does he have the magic? Because in the regular season, crunch time, he was still as good as it gets. Two-minute scenarios. They were 1.51 EPA per play this season, fourth best in the NFL. Fourth quarter, they had the fifth best EPA per play of any team in the NFL. The rest of the quarters, mm, nowhere near the same. So when it's well, all the chips are on the table, when they have to go hurry up, when they have to go two-minute scenarios, Bucks offenses look like the Bucks offense. Every other time of the game, besides opening script stuff, Bucks offenses look nothing like the Bucks offense. So, what do they game plan? What do they do to get Tom Brady in those scenarios? To basically just give him the keys and let him run the game because that's when they're at their best and not when they're trying to force, you know, the run game and other stuff that Trevor obviously is probably lamenting at home right now about. So that to me is just, is Brady still, does he still have it? Does he still have it? Yeah, I, I do wonder, I think this is an interesting discussion here about 
you know, the, the, where the run game fits in. And this is a great a, a team to talk about it because the run game has been putrid. I mean, it's been like god awful this whole season. But can you just be like, oh, well, well, we'll do what we do in the fourth quarter from the first quarter. And it's like, I don't know. If, I mean, there's a reason teams run the football and it's to get teams other the defense into favorable personnel groupings, favorable matchups and stuff like that. So it is interesting. Like you don't want to live in a world as good as Tom Brady is where you're down in the fourth quarter. Like they've been to the Cardinals, to the Saints, to all these teams, to the, to the Panthers, right? There, there's a, their coin flips away. There are Mark Ingram going out of bounds a yard before the first down away from not being in the playoffs at all. So you don't want to live in that world, but I, I agree. I mean, they've been lights out when Brady's kind of just dropped back and thrown the football um, in the fourth quarter, as you, as you mentioned with the stats, I'll, I'll add one thing about this matchup from the other side of the ball. Like I said, Dallas offense has been lethal since uh, that came back. Even with that Washington game, they're at 54% third down conversion rate. That's by far, by 5%, the best in the league, as you can see it right there. The Bucks are third since week seven on defending third down. So that is such a key matchup in this game because, you know, you look at the Dallas run game uh, and the Dallas first and second second down play calling, they're going to try and run the football. They do pop some runs. Obviously, they do too, have really good, two run, really good running backs, but they can put themselves in long yardage third down situations and Dak has continually bailed them out. Can they do it again against a really good third down defense? I think that's interesting. Yeah, the Bucks are two and a half point dogs in this one. Truthfully, I like I like the Bucks, man. I like the Bucks. The, the week one game, I, I think, showed, I don't want to say the blueprint, but I, I just think that matchup-wise, I like the Bucks in this one. All right, let's like, so the value is, yeah. Yeah, the value. I would say the value is, the value is their Bucks money line, just because we still believe in, this team yeah and two and a half right, we still believe we look at the roster we see brady we see evans we see godwin we see all the tristan works etc etc it's still there it's it's it is yeah. still there it's hidden it, they've been hiding it well but it is still there <laughs> all right yeah bold predictions here let's get to three bold predictions uh i, I know the chat was kind of split on that cowboys bucks game which speaks to i think just the evenness of it but bold predictions three bold predictions for the playoffs Rip it off with your first. You already mentioned to it. You already alluded to it, but uh, I have some takes on it as well. Yeah, Purdy runs out of juice. I think that to me, I think it's, I mean, there's no such thing as like a Super Bowl prediction considering every team is pretty tightly matched up here uh, for the most part. But the 49ers are a pretty heavy hit favorite. And I think that my bold prediction was Purdy runs out of juice. I'm not saying they necessarily lose, but um, Purdy just doesn't look good. Yeah, dude, I, I tend to agree. He had games back in college, most notably against Oklahoma. Five turnover really plays against them in 2020. And then the conference championship game, that was like the Iowa State season back then, the COVID year, three more turnover really plays, you know, on the biggest stage when it mattered the most. So that I'm, a, I'm just a touch worried about. You've kind of seen it already from him, but we'll see. We'll see. He has matured. I mean, I, I am uh, – the guy has experience, and it's funny to see kind of like the conversation around quarterbacks that have come out and looked like they belonged right out the rip. A lot of them are four-year starters in college, whether it's Purdy, whether it's Herbert, um, whether it's even like Baker Mayfield, his rookie season. Like he was a multi-year – like these guys who are three, four-year starters, that's where it's trending towards those guys looking better. Uh, my first bold prediction, Trevor Lawrence looks even better in the playoffs than he has the second half of the year. I go so back bold. to like you're really out on a limb on this. I one. mean, even up, he's been fantastic, but I'm <laughs> saying raises the level of play come playoff time. I just go back to that freshman year against one Notre Dame in the playoff where he went for 327, three touchdowns, 92.6 overall grade to get to this national championship game to then go up against Alabama and go 20 of 32 for 347 yards and three touchdowns against Alabama. 75.1 overall grade in the playoffs. Eight big-time throws, one turnover where they play. It's just unflappable in crunch time. The kind of personality that it just never has seemed like anything, any moment has been too big for him. So, yeah, come playoff time, I think Trevor Lawrence is going to be even better. 
What, what what was that that happened in the 2019 national championship game? That you one, he ran into a better quarterback. That's as simple as it is. <laughs> uh, I'm, you're not going to hear me talk anything bad about Joe Burrow. Uh, he just ran into a better quarterback. That's what happens. And if he gets to the Super Bowl. No, yeah, I, gets... I, I, I would say that Trevor Lawrence plays the position kind of like the per, like the, the platonic ideal of quarterbacking. So him playing this great is just fun to watch, and I'm I'm excited. And I hope you're right, to be honest, because that that is that makes football fun to watch. The timing that he throws with the 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 eye manipulation he's using right now, like he's added that to his game this year, which has been really fun to watch. He's making he's creating openings for his receivers with his own eyes. It's been Super fun to watch. All right, my number two thing. Now this is bold. Okay, this both of like I'm going out of the limb. It's probably the only this one is have, out of the six we have here going on the limb. Skylar Thompson is a wild card round MVP. Again, Mike McDaniel is great. Uh, Tyreek Hill is great. Jalen Waddle is great. Raheem Mostert is great. There's a chance here. There's a chance. It's a small chance, but there's a lot of stuff that could go right around Skylar Thompson that, you know, makes him look good that the, where the Dolphins win and then he looks good. Even if it's just like, you know, you know, traditional box score stats, I think there's a chance here. Seventh round rookies, man. I, uh, I, I don't <laughs> agree with you there. <laughs> I'll just say that right now. Um, I don't think he looks good against this Buffalo Bills secondary. He didn't look good last week. Uh, I am not going to be with you there, but Hey, that's why it's bold. My second one, is quarterback related as well not necessarily playoff related but kind of ancillarily playoff related because i think the ravens get their cheeks clapped this weekend and i think the lamar ravens marriage is heading for an ugly divorce it just seems like that i think they think internally or at least the way they've talked about it that he's healthy enough to at least play to at least try and like the risk of re-injury on their end is worth the risk of him playing from lamar's end he's saying i need money uh, I'm going to get absolutely paid this offseason, whether I play this weekend or not. Why would I risk any of that for this team right now when they don't believe in him? So when those two sides are at those two points and digging their heels in, I don't see any way this doesn't head towards an ugly exit this offseason. Unfortunately. Yeah, I, I agree. I think Lamar is, I'm not saying he's happy about this, but when you look at how bad the offense has been since he's been out, and it's funny because we talked about this offseason, we talked about, sorry, last offseason, I guess, we talked about Tyler Huntley a lot and saying like, hey, he played really good down the stretch when Lamar was injured. And maybe he's a guy that gets a chance as a free agent somewhere to win a roster, so not, 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 I'm sorry, not just win a roster spot, but win a starting quarterback position somewhere in the league. And now after, you know, four games or whoever it's been this season, it can't even say that at all. And Lamar is looking even better from that perspective. Like, like the Ravens cannot go into next season with any anyone else but Lamar. So he's kind of all the chips in his favor, except the injury stuff. Two years in a row, obviously. But to me, uh, to me, it'd be ridiculous to, for him to not play there. I would welcome him with open arms in New Orleans if that were to happen. But uh, I, I, I do hope he's a Raven still. All right, what's your last one? Oh, yeah. So, last one. Giants-Vikings winner. We ha One of them has to win. They win again in the divisional round. Oh, that's a horrible prediction. <laughs> you know, two bold. teams that I, think, that I think people have kind of rightly looked at and said, mm -hmm. punching above their weight this season, a lot of close wins, a lot of, uh, you know, I hate to use the word fluky, but let's say fluky situations they put themselves in, let's say. Um, so yeah, the bold prediction is people would probably look at them and say the winner is going to lose in the next round because they'll be playing a better team. You know, the, you know the Giants could be playing the Eagles, I guess. But you know, if the Vikings win and the Bucks win, I I believe off the top of my head it would be Vikings Bucks and and uh, well, you can go to your number three uh, your number three bold prediction. Yeah, my number three bold prediction is that Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Bucks will win this game, and not only win this game, they'll somehow head into the divisional round with a favorable matchup in that either Jalen Hurts can't play with a shoulder and Lane Johnson's out as well, or it falls to where the Seahawks and the mm. Giants win, and so they're playing the Giants. Something is going to happen to where we're going to be talking about the Bucks next weekend and not maybe not being favorites, 
but it being like, oh, wow, this broke well for them in their matchup, just because that's what always seems to happen for Tom Brady and this team. It just does, unfortunately, as much as to my chagrin as a Packers fan from the 2020 playoffs. But there you have it. There are our bold predictions. Let's now get to the last segment of the day, what we do every Friday, the bro throw Throwdown. If you don't know what Bro Throw is, go to brothrow.com. It is a sports football, excuse me, betting site where it cuts out the middleman. No vig, no shitty odds. You set your own odds. You place a bet, however much you want to place, set your odds, set the number, whether it's over, under, whether it's the line, whether it's the money line that you want. And then all it has to do is someone to take the other side of that. So you say 10 bucks. I want the over here on Broncos Jaguars, which is a old video that you're seeing on your screen. You get the you, 10 bucks, someone wants the under on it, they take it, 10 bucks the other way. No, uh, you know, minus 110 odds for your over under. You get $100, gets you $100 if you bet it. So head to brothrow.com, place a bet. Any bets you like on Brothrow this weekend, Seth, I know where I'm heading with my money here in a sec that I'm gonna post. What about yourself? I, I like the Bengals minus eight i got them at minus eight a couple days ago i think that line is even trending it's, it's definitely at 8.5 maybe even nine now so like that if, if you if you could go back in time and get them at a lower than even eight yeah <laughs> like on a monday or something then i would do that but i got them at minus eight well one of the beauties of growth throw is you could put up a minus seven there you can put up a minus five if you want and if someone's dumb enough to take the other side you can still win money <laughs> from that I, I i actually got the Bengals at minus seven love that one wow. i like the jags as two and a half point dogs, I love the other home dog, Tampa Bay Bucks, in this one as well. But I think my favorite is that Giants Vikings under 48. I think it was 48 and a half earlier. It's already trending under in that one. That is one of my favorites of the weekend. Let's get the production portal back in, though, for the question of the day. Quinn, fellas, how are we doing? Good. Nine, uh, nine QBs in NFL history have thrown for 5,000 yards in a single season. Okay. Uh, you guys had a pretty good list going. Why don't you just name them off and I'll say yes or no. Okay, so Marino? Yes. Uh, Manning? Yes. Brady? Yes. Breeze? Yes. Mahomes? Yes. Herbert? Yes. So we're at six. Yep. Who else do we say? Do we think Stafford? Roethlisberger. Roethlisberger? Okay, yes. Roethlisberger. Okay, seven. Um, two more. I, I think it's staff. I think it's staff. Stafford? Yes. Stafford? It's up to you. I'll, I'll let you have this one, but last it feels one. right. Ooh. How many did Dak go for last year? Oh, that's a good one. Think it could have been him? Or Burrow? Mm. Was it someone else this year? Did someone else go for 5K? Not this year, but it is an active NFL okay, quarterback. An active sort of active NFL quarterback. Oh, sort of active. Uh, Stafford, then. Well, we hit no, Stafford. No, you already said Stafford. So we got eight. Oh, you said, okay, my bad. So we got eight. Sort of active. Oh. Sort of active. Is it That's what I put in my dating profile. <laughs> sort of active. How's that working for you? Uh, uh, well, that's for another show. Okay, yeah. That's for Dripper Skip. Uh, we'll do Dripper Skip, Sass, <laughs> uh, Hinge Profile. Um, I don't know. You Last one. You 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 take it. Sort of active quarter. Uh, I'll go. Uh, oh, Jameis. 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 There we go. Yes. James. There we go. We hit it. Nailed him. Dang. A whole nine. Seth wow. comes on and we just take dubs. Love to see. All we do. Do we have a chat champ from the day? I, I In my first hosting role, I was not active in the we chat. We do have chat champ. Uh, comment of the day, it was uh, nice dude is the user, and he said, uh, I was talking about who is the best hair in the Herbert Lawrence matchup, and he said Lawrence has the hair of a medieval prepubescent girl. Mm. So yes. that earned you chat champ here. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, he does look like, he does look like, <laughs> I feel like in this, this is going to sound awful, but like the 16th Careful. century, he would have been considered like beautiful. For, for like a woman. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like that was like the standard of beauty for females back then. Was does he have a uh, head and shoulders deal? I think he does. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I think that he seems does. like a marking. That was like a right away. I think he got it. Well, All right. Who, who has the better hair? Um, 
Trevor Lawrence currently or Mike Renner three years ago? Me circa 2020 uh, spring. It was not me. I didn't clean mine enough, I'll say. Mine was a little grimy. He's got it like he's got his nice. I mean, he has when you have a head and shoulders deal, you better have it nice and shampooed on the reg. But yeah, I, I think Trevor's got the better flow. It is wild that he's not changed up, right? It's been the same flow since he had a recruiting profile, since like rivals, since it burst on the scene. He's not even yeah. attempted to switch it up, which, hey, hats off to him. All right, there you have mm-hmm. it. Trev, I believe, will be back on Monday. Seth, appreciate you filling in, buddy. Thanks for the time. And thank you all to the chat, everyone watching at home. Enjoy the playoffs, best time of the year. We'll see you next week. It's not about politics, it's about football. This is a simple game. We're going to run the ball, and we're going to pass the ball. He's just going to play football, really. How good of a football player are you? I just get in and try to spin it. That's all. I just love the game. It really is the best time of the year.